Morning, everybody. Really nice to see you. If you're new around here, I've been gone for a while, so uh, I'm Jeff from Kentucky. <laughs> Next service is Biker's service. I'm looking forward to that. I've got my 950cc Harley that I'm going to ride down the center aisle. How many know that's a lie? That's a lie. It would be horrible. I get nervous when I rev up a hairdryer, so I'm, I'm not going to do that. Hey, uh, some of you will remember last year, Searchlight Theatre Company came out from the UK. We had a wonderful evening. And they're coming back with a full uh, production called Chariots. They're going to be with us on the 13th of October. And Chariots is a play based on the Eric Liddell story, Chariots of Fire, the movie. Uh, the players uh, and their presentation of it has won awards at the Edinburgh Festival, which is a big theatre festival. And so tickets will be online from next week. They've asked me, uh, there are eight parts uh, in, in addition to the professional actors, and they've asked me to play a part. So I'm going to find out if I can act or not, and I'm sure you'll let me know. Uh, if you have an interest and you feel like you have a skill in this area, that means there are seven vacancies. And my wife, Kay, will be out at a table in the mall. If you'd like to sign up for an audition, we have a professional director coming in. Uh, realize, of course, that if you sign up for an audition, it, it means that you're, you're open to the possibility of either doing it or not doing it. Uh, sometime in church life, the rules are a little different, but that's the way it is. Um, but if you're interested, stop by at the table in the mall, and, uh, and I think it's going to be fun. So something to look forward to there. Well, we're continuing this off-road series. How about a round of applause for our creative team putting all this stuff together? And I think we've done, they've done great. And as you can see, Secrets in the Sand is the title for uh, today's message. Exodus chapter 2, let's just jump right in. Exodus chapter 2. Now, a man of the tribe of Levi married a Levite woman, and she became pregnant and gave birth to a son. When she saw that he was a fine child, she hid him for three months. But when she could hide him no longer, she got a papyrus basket for him and coated it with tar and pitch. And then she placed the child in it and put it among the reeds along the bank of the Nile. His sister stood at a distance to see what would happen to him. Then Pharaoh's daughter went down to the Nile to bathe, and her attendants were walking along the riverbank. She saw the basket among the reeds and sent her female slave to get it. She opened it and saw the baby. He was crying, and she felt sorry for him. This is one of the Hebrew babies, she said. Then his sister asked Pharaoh's daughter, shall I go and get one of the Hebrew women to nurse the baby for you? Yes, go, she answered. So the girl went and got the baby's mother. Pharaoh's daughter said to her, take this baby and nurse him for me and I will pay you. So the woman took the baby and nursed him. And when the child grew older, she took him to Pharaoh's daughter and he became her son. She named him Moses, saying, I drew him out of the water. One day after Moses had grown up, he went out to where his own people were and watched them at their hard labor. He saw an Egyptian beating a Hebrew, one of his own people. Looking this way and that and seeing no one, he killed the Egyptian and hid him in the sand. The next day he went out and saw two Hebrews fighting. He asked the one in the wrong, why are you hitting your fellow Hebrew? And the man said, who made you ruler and judge over us? Are you thinking of killing me as you killed the Egyptian? And Moses was afraid and thought, what I did must have become known. When Pharaoh heard of this, he tried to kill Moses, but Moses fled from Pharaoh and went to live in Midian 
where he sat down by a well. Now a priest of Midian had seven daughters, and they came to draw water and fill the troughs to water their father's flock. Some shepherds came along and drove them away, but Moses got up and came to their rescue and watered their flock. Uh, recently, I went off-road, but I wasn't planning on doing so, if you get my drift. Uh, that snow that came unexpectedly uh, just a few weeks ago, my, my driveway disappeared, and I decided to navigate it by faith, and it didn't go well. And I came off the driveway, and the car tipped, and I have a carefully planned strategy uh, for moments like this, which kind of works for me. I just move into a time of... Uh, high-pitched hysterical screaming. I, I find that uh, a very mature adult response to these moments. But I know that if I ever actually intentionally went off-roading, I would like someone who knew what he or she was doing to guide me into that kind of experience. And that's exactly what God is doing here in Exodus chapter 2 as we hear the story of the birth and the call, not the calling, but the birth and the initial years of uh, Moses. Moses is a fragile, a fragile hero. He's not, he's not Superman without the blue pantyhose. He's a, he's a regular guy who messes up all kinds of stuff, but God used him. He's a hero. Peter Kraft uh, said, Our culture has filled our heads but emptied our hearts, stuffed our wallets but starved our wonder. It has fed our thirst for facts but not for meaning or mystery. It produces nice people but not heroes. Heroism shouldn't be confused with fame. There are quiet heroes everywhere who courageously navigate their way through pain, who sacrificially give of themselves, exhausting themselves in service or trusting in the face of confusion. And the invitation, brothers and sisters, to all of us is to live heroically. And I think Moses' story can help us in that. So let's dive in if you're following along in the bulletin, follow with me. First of all, let's be aware. Let's be aware as we look at this story, blessing is often experienced in the midst of suffering. Be aware that blessing is often experienced in the midst of suffering. Verse 3, speaking of Moses' mother, it says, but when she could hide him no longer, she got a papyrus basket for him and coated it with tar and pitch. Then she placed the child in it and put it among the reeds along the bank of the Nile. A couple of years ago, um, I went to Washington, D.C., and had the privilege of going through the Holocaust Museum there. It's a harrowing experience with photographs and film footage of the terrible Holocaust and the slaughter of six million Jews by the Nazi regime. But the most harrowing part of the whole thing for me is the last part. Because as you come to the end, you walk through a, a railroad car that was used to ferry so many women and men and young people to their deaths. But then you go past a trough filled with leather shoes. And as you look at the shoes, you lean over the trough and you, you smell the leather and you suddenly realize that this is not just vague history or statistics. You smell the leather and you realize that these were real people who perished, their shoes only surviving them. I think we need to read this story with the smell of leather in our nostrils because there's a danger that we can 
we can file this away as a cute Sunday school story where Moses is in the bulrushes and, and Pharaoh's daughter comes and finds him. Hallelujah. Isn't that, isn't that wonderful? But actually, this blessing was experienced in the context of great pain. All of the male Hebrew children were being slaughtered thrown into the Nile. Moses is three months old. He's crying more. His mother is now concerned about the fact that he's going to draw attention to himself. Effectively, what she does is she has to abandon her baby. It's the equivalent of leaving a child on the steps of a hospital or an orphanage. And she has to say goodbye to her son. Imagine the trauma of that. But mingled in with all the pain is God. He's intervening. Right from the start, we read that Moses was from a, the family of Levites. So immediately we get this hint that this baby is being prepared for, for leadership in the nation. The, the Levites were the leaders um, of Israel. He's rescued from the place of death. The Nile was the place of death. It becomes a place of life for him. He's placed in a basket. The, the word that's used for basket here in the Hebrew is ark. It's the same word that's used in Genesis 6, 7, and 8 to describe the ark of Noah. Pharaoh's daughter just happens to be there at the time. Ramesses II, the Pharaoh, had 60 daughters. He... He's there, he's, he's found. Miriam, his sister, who's about 12, just happens to be watching what's going on. Pharaoh's daughter just happens to decide to adopt the baby, and Miriam steps up and says, you're going to need help with that. And it, it's, it's incredible because the lady says, sure, I, I need some help. Go find someone for me. So Miriam goes to find mom, who's just said goodbye and now there's this incredible reunion, except that now Pharaoh is paying for it. It's incredible because there's this, there is this holocaust taking place, this pain, and yet God is showing up as well. But let's not forget that many children were being executed. A couple of weeks ago, I was in Spain speaking at a retreat, and I met Peter and Ricky. And Ricky told me, and I have permission to share her story, that her childhood was a catalog of sexual abuse. She said, that's, that's what I knew all the way through. One day, living in South Africa at the time, Peter felt compelled to pray a prayer of protection for his wife. The next day, after he prayed the prayer, she was home alone. He was at work. And uh, she was due to go out and get the kids to do the school run. And a man broke into the house, armed, threatened her. And I'm going to be careful because of the tenderness of the subject and little ears that are around. But uh, what happened was an attack of horrendous abuse. Peter's at work. As far as he's concerned, his wife is out running around picking up the kids. But he suddenly felt this compulsion to, to phone home, to call home. And so he rang, and of course the phone's not answered because this terrible attack is taking place. So he rang again, and he rang again, and he rang again. He kept on ringing. Kept on phoning. And finally the attacker, put off by the distraction of the ringing phone, broke off the assault, and Ricky was spared from worse, possibly murder. 
That's where the preacher normally stops and says, isn't that great? The phone rang. But I've got to tell you that throughout her childhood, the phone didn't ring. And if we're going to have a mature faith, we have got to realize that we believe in a God who does intervene, but we live in the thunderdome of confusion and pain, and it doesn't always work out simply and nicely. Sometimes the telephone doesn't ring. And if we're not careful, we can generate a picture of a faith where God always shows up. Every time you look at a crucifix, you look at something that says that God intervenes and God doesn't intervene. Because God intervenes in the sending of his son to die for us. And he doesn't intervene when Jesus in Gethsemane says, can this cup pass from me? It's intervention and non-intervention mingled. And if we're going to have a mature faith, we've got to know that. It might be that some of us today come with thanksgiving because, figuratively speaking, the telephone rang. And it might be that some of us come to bring our anger to God. And if you think that's inappropriate, read the Psalms, because the Psalms are littered with anguish and frustration. A mature faith says, yes, there is a God, and the resurrection points us to a final future where there will be no more tears, no more sorrow, no more pain. We live with that great hope, but in the meantime, we do faith in a tough world. Secondly, let's be decisive. Let's be decisive. Let's decide who are we with and for. Be decisive. Who are we with and for. One day, verse 11, after Moses had grown up, he went out to where his own people were. And Hebrews 11 expands on this for us. Look at this. By faith, Moses, when he had grown up, refused to be known as the son of Pharaoh's daughter. He chose to be mistreated along with the people of God rather than enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. He regarded disgrace for the sake of Christ as of greater value than the treasures of Egypt because he was looking ahead to his reward. I've told this story before, but I like it, so if it's all right with you, I'm going to tell it again. Uh, one day, uh, Kay and I were, uh, we were traveling somewhere. We were exhausted. We checked into this uh, motel, and we were at the reception desk, and the guy behind the desk said to Kay, my wife, he said, do you, do you spell your name K-A-Y or K-A-Y-E? And my wife said uh, K-A-Y-E. There's an E on the end. And I, I kind of nudged her and I said, honey, I, I've known you for three decades. And if it's all right with you, I'd just like to mention that never at any point have you ever spelt your name with an E on the end. I said, it's, it's not a deal breaker as far as I'm concerned. You, I'm thinking about changing my name to Brenda. You know, you can, you can. But she for a moment forgot who she was. I like this story, because normally it's me that's the stupid one. <laughs> and no, I don't have permission to share this. Sometimes forgiveness is easier, honey. <laughs> Just kidding. Moses had to make a decision about who he would be at all times. Imagine it. He's living in the riches of Pharaoh's palace. Fabulous education, Hebrews uh, tells us, expands on all of this for us. He's a ruler. Uh, he's a leader. He's, he's rich. And I think if I'd been him, I could have figured out a way through this. I could have said, now listen, Lord, 
Um, I, I'm, I'm sensing this Hebrew thing going on, but I actually believe that I could be of greater assistance to my people if I just stay here in the palace and live in this context of beautiful and fabulous wealth, I can influence Pharaoh and that will be more helpful. How many think that's a cool idea? You know, like we say, God, I'd like to, I'd like to serve you in beach missions. <laughs> Preferably in Hawaii. Aloha, Lord, that'll be perfect. But there's a collision of values. If our faith has not created a collision of values, you've got to have to wonder what it's worth. Where there are times when we have to say, no, I've got to be who I am at all times, in all places. I've got to live Christianly, not just in here, but out there. Uh, last week in England, I needed a haircut. My hairdresser wasn't available, so I just popped into, I just picked a barber. And it was a mistake. You can see, look at this. I should have known there was trouble when she started, started up the chainsaw. I mean, you know, it's horrible. And I know it's difficult to do anything with the alarmed baby eagle look that I carry. <laughs> I, I know that. That's pretty good, wasn't it? See, I, I watch National Geographic. I know how that should be done. But I messed it up. Because I'm sitting there watching this tragedy on my scalp unfold. And the lady said, what do you do? And at that moment, I was too exhausted and too traumatized by looking in the mirror. I didn't want to get into a Jesus conversation at that moment. So I'm embarrassed to tell you that I, I just said, I write. I write. <laughs> well, I do. But I, and I'm not saying that we've always got to jump into every conversation. But I know on that occasion, I, I, I missed it. God is looking for people who will be who they are wherever they are, even if there's a collision of values. Why don't we say in the workplace, hey, I, I, I hear that uh, a member of your family is sick. I, I believe in prayer. Is, is it right if I, just, if I just pray, include her in prayer? Don't go into the workplace and say, in Jesus' name, I rebuke the sickness. Now, that's not going to be helpful. It doesn't mean ranting or being aggressive. It just be, means being naturally Christian. Pastor Darry said last week, we need to live for God where we are. The midwives in location serving God and being faithful there. Let's live Christianly wherever we are, which might mean that we have to say no to some stuff. Moses had to say no to the palace. Titus 2 says this, the grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to all people. It teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age. Thirdly, let's be compassionate. Let's be compassionate, allowing God to help us to really see. Verse 11 says, One day, after Moses had grown up, he went out to where his own people were and watched them at their hard labor. Study this passage carefully. And you will notice that there's a lot of seeing that happens. And the word in the Hebrew, yara, means not just to notice something, but to be moved by it. So Moses is rescued because Pharaoh's daughter sees him, yara, and she is moved with compassion and therefore takes action. 
And even though Moses' response was murderous, we'll come to that in a moment, he saw his fellow Hebrews under hard labor, and seeing drove him into action. He saw and did something. Two weeks ago, this terrible tornado tore through Moore, Oklahoma. Moore is a community that I'm very familiar with. Every year I go to Covenant Life Assembly, uh, where my friend Randy Morgan is the pastor there. And uh, that community has experienced such devastation. I think we've got Randy on the phone. Are you there, Randy? Are you there? Hello. Hey, how you doing? Can you hear me? We got hello. Hey, Randy, Jeff here. Can you hear me? Hello. It's, hello is a good word, Randy. Are you, uh, are you there? Uh, can you hear me? I really can't understand what you're saying. That happens a lot around here. <laughs> uh, Randy, because it's kind of difficult for you to hear, uh, can you understand me if I just ask you to give us a quick update on how things are? Because we're, we're with you and praying for you today. I'm sorry, I can't understand what you're saying. All right, we're going to have to abandon this, but I tell you what, uh, I hope you'll be able to understand the round of applause that comes to let you know that we're with you and we're for you. If he could have, Randy would have told us that 3,000 volunteers signed up in their church gym this week, 3,500 volunteers. He would tell you that there is just uh, not enough room now to keep all of the food and supplies that have been pouring in from all over America. He would tell you um, that uh, so many wonderful things are, are happening, uh, that there's been such a, an outpouring, and we are, uh, we are participating in that through Convoy of Hope, who are there in our One Day to Feed the World offering. Part of that goes uh, into Convoy of hope. Why do I tell you this? Why did I want us to talk to Randy today? It's because I think we can develop a jaundiced view of the world where we just say people don't care. And by the way, everybody, this is not just the church. This is America. People seeing and responding. It's wonderful. Let's continue to ask God to help us to see and help us to respond. Fourthly, let's be persistent. Let's be persistent. Don't allow your failures to derail you, but learn from them. Be persistent. Don't allow your failures to derail you, but learn from them. Look at verse 12. Looking this way and that and seeing no one, he killed the Egyptian and hid him in the sand. Now, the commentators can give you all kinds of reasons why this wasn't murder. The pharaohs and his family, they had absolute right over life and death legally, this was not murder. Uh, also, there was the law of retribution. There are five or six reasons why they would say that it was kind of okay. Well, truth is he looked this way and that, and he killed a guy. There's a body under the sand. And then Pharaoh tries to, uh, uh, to kill him. But in his failure, he learns, because look at verse 17. He's now had to run for his life. 
Some shepherds came along and drove uh, some women away, but Moses got up and came to their rescue and watered their flock. There is another moment of injustice. Moses is being who he is, wherever he is, even in a foreign country now, but he doesn't get violent. He drives these guys away, but there's no killing. He has hopefully learned from his terrible mistake. Brothers and sisters, Jesus doesn't want to just forgive us for our failures and for the skeletons not under the sand, but in our closets. But he wants to redeem those episodes as we learn from them. Do we keep repeating the same mistakes? And when we make mistakes, do we actually learn from them? And by the way, while I've been talking, I've been thinking, that's a good idea normally. And we're going to try and get hold of Randy next week because I think it's going to be worth talking to him and uh, sharing prayer with him. So just to let you know that. Number five, finally, number five. Be realistic. Deal with disillusionment with the people of God. Be realistic, deal with disillusionment with the people of God. Look at verse 14. Uh, Moses has now come out from the palace. He's paying a price, but look at the response. The man said, who made you ruler and judge over us? Are you thinking of killing me as you killed the Egyptian? Then Moses was afraid and thought, what I did must have become known. Acts 7.25 sums it up. Moses thought that his own people would realize that God was using him to rescue them, but they did not. We have got to understand, if we're going to have a mature faith, that we're going to let each other down. We're fragile and flawed, and we are not committed to each other as long as we get it exactly right. I, I, I often like to say, if you've been part of a church for more than six months and nobody in it and nothing about it has irritated or offended you, you are probably clinically dead. You want to get irritated? Join a church. There's plenty of scope. Why? Because we are human. And it's not that we are hypocrites. A hypocrite is someone who says, I'm perfect, and then acts differently. We never, said, we never ever said that we're perfect. We're people under construction. That's different. But we need to know that as we are under construction, we are going to disappoint and fail each other, lest we have an immature faith and we only stick together as long as no one irritates us. In a 24-hour period, about six months ago, I got two emails, one of which thrilled me, the other was devastating. The one that thrilled me was from an atheist. He'd read one of my books, he's still an atheist, but he wrote to me with such warmth and generosity and kindness, really encouraged my heart. The other one was from a minister back in Britain. Those British people. <laughs> and it was vicious. It was acerbic and unkind and personal. And I wrote back and, and, and said, look, I'm finding this a little difficult and tried to be gracious. And he wrote back another vicious one. And then at the end of it said, would you like to send me a free book? <laughs> yeah. So I sent him a horse's head. I thought that'd be good. Just kidding. I just came out just then. <laughs> kind of wanted to. 
but I was devastated by my own reaction. Because it wasn't just that there was this personal attack. I've been around for a while. I get that. It's all right. There was this sense of, dear Jesus, did you know that your people could be like this? And that's ridiculous because the gospel doesn't stop being true because we are fragile and inconsistent. And I'm not pointing any fingers at him because I've had plenty of episodes, I'm sure, in my own life where what I believe and then what I reacted with was two different stories. What I'm saying is, if we are going to have a mature faith, let's push through the disappointment zone, the disillusionment zone, and let's be committed together. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you today for your grace and generosity. We thank you that you called this man this fragile hero, this man who tried to take things into his own hands and disaster happened and yet, yet you, you caused him to live heroically. Lord, as we walk gently and sensitively through this today, aware as we've talked about blessing and suffering, the phone, the telephone ringing and not ringing. We pray, Lord, for those who find themselves in a place of bruising and wounding and who perhaps have been angry and disappointed. I want every head to be bowed, please, and every eye to be closed. And it's an unusual request. And in asking of this, I'm not in any way suggesting that a quick prayer solves everything. It might well be that for some of us, there is a deep wounding that needs ministry and counsel and professional help. I say that not because I don't believe in prayer, I do. But I would hate to ever minimalize pain as something that can just be fixed in a moment when some of us carry scars from a lifetime. But as our heads are bowed and as our eyes are closed, if you find yourself in that place where you come to God today with an offering of anger and frustration, disappointment, I'm going to ask you just to just quietly lift your hand for a moment, please. Would you do that now? And around this place, people are doing that. Thank you for being courageous. You can lower your hands and as you do so, know that I really am convinced that God commends your honesty and does not condemn it. We pray for our friends, Lord, that in their bruising that you will draw close to them and that you will take them or continue them on a journey of healing. Thank you for their willingness to trust you and worship you in the midst of painful circumstances and wounds. There's a second question I want to just ask, and that is of those of us who know that we've kind of been Christian but undercover with it. 
And the challenge for us today, as we've seen Moses abandon the palace, is to simply be known as a Christian wherever we are. That doesn't mean that we have to badger people and foolishly manipulate every conversation. It just means that we need to be willing to be known as citizens of the kingdom of God, followers and friends, apprentices of Jesus, even if that creates a hostile reaction or even derision. And we know, some of us, that we've been kind of undercover and it's time for that to change. If that's true for you, I'd love to include you in prayer. Would you just slip up your hand for a moment, please? Thank you so much for doing that. You can lower your hands. Strengthen us, Lord. It's relatively easy in this place for us to determine to make a stand for you. It's kind of easy. But out there, wherever we are, we want to be who we are and live Christianly for you. Teach us how to do that. Show us grace for Mondays as well as Sundays. We ask it in Jesus' name. Everyone said. just a moment I'd like us as we've made this affirmation that he is Lord in a moment I'd like us to express that in a moment of applause to God it's a way for us as a community to express our faith and trust in him but before we do that I'd like it to be a thoughtful action so I'm going to ask you just to close your eyes for a moment and I want you to have a few seconds to compose a sentence to God. A sentence of thanksgiving, one sentence of expressing trust in the midst of pain, a sentence of appreciation, of worship. You might even want to ask God a question. But our worship needs to express heart. this auditorium you've heard the whispers of our hearts which we present to you and now Lord in the context in which we find ourselves we declare that you are Lord and we love you and we bring you our offering of praise together let's put our hands together shall we We often say it that the service is just beginning. Don't forget to respond in terms of volunteers uh, that we need at Serving Central there uh, out in the mall. The uh, searchlight auditioned, other tables out in the mall. Have a beautiful weekend. The sun is shining. We're in Colorado. Hooray! God bless you. Have a great weekend.